Hello, and welcome to the ninth episode of the Killer Music Podcast. And the music you're hearing behind you should leave you no head-scratching on who is our special feature tonight. It is none other than the magnificent Hank Williams. Tonight, we are going to be talking about the life and times of one of the most prolific songwriters. I'm your host, Mortimer Bustos. This is my co-host, Paul Schlichtholz. Let's take a little time out. Let's relax a little bit, hang out, and stop stressing out about a bunch of bullshit and talk about Hank. The thick gravies of existence trying to crawl out from the sucking cauldron of time. The wails of infirmed lovers quake for salvation that never comes. Our star of tonight's podcast also wailed for that very salvation. Hank Williams was born September 17, 1923 in Mount Olive, Alabama. He had an alias. Guess what it was? Wrong answer! It was Luke the Drifter. He was a country music legend who left the cauldron way too soon. He penned so many classics that it makes me want to self-immolate. Truly amazing songs like Your Cheating Heart, I'll Never Leave This World Alive, Hey Good Looking, Ramblin' Man, and many, many more. By many, he was considered to be the world's first country music superstar. Some people called it white folks blues. Hank's songs were personal and from the heart, sometimes intimately dark and morose. That's the way I like my country music, especially when the music is rather cheerful and then the lyric is melancholic. Williams relocated from Mount Olive, Georgiana. Williams relocated from Mount Olive, Georgiana. It was there where he met Rufus Payne. Rufus was a blues man who gave Hank guitar lessons for money and snacks. Payne had a distinct influence on Hank's guitar styles, along with the other popular mu- musicians of the time, Roy Acuff and Ernest Tubb. Williams relocated again to Montgomery, Alabama, where he began his musical career in 1937. He got hired to host a short bit on a radio station called WSFA. He soon formed his first backup group called the Drifting Cowboys. The band was managed by his mommy. Hank dropped out of high school and then threw himself further into his career. Did you know that Hank Williams liked to drink? I didn't. He did! (laughs) His preferred drink was Buzzballs Chocolate Teasers. It was noted that he loved his Buzzballs Chocolate Teasers and would always share them with his bandmates, always asking, doesn't this tickle your nose? No! He liked fucking whiskey, and lots of it. (laughs) There were also pills being prescribed by Dr. Feelgood of the day, charlhydrate, amphetamines, and morphine. Well, folks, let me tell you what. I really love my Buzzballs chocolate teasers. Yes, sir. Now, I can drink one, or maybe I'll drink 100. It doesn't matter. I highly recommend... You stop on down to your local liquor store and pick you up a case of Buzz Balls chocolate teasers. It tickles your nose. <laughs> It'd be kind of fun if we left the podcast tonight and went for a nightcap and uh, ordered us up a couple of 
buzz balls, <laughs> chocolate <laughs> teasers. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that whenever he was talking about um, the drugs uh, that Hank was prescribed, there would be uh, some more crazier names like <laughs> Bocephus <laughs> Magnum, <laughs> whatever. I was kind of hoping it was like something that doesn't definitely doesn't exist anymore, but the shit still, the stuff he was on still exists. Yeah. But uh, the guy was going through some major pain. Um, Maybe uh, Buzz Balls chocolate teasers are bad for your back. <laughs> I don't know. Too many of them, yeah. But I guess we're going to have to go on to some history on the legendary Hank Williams. Paul's going to give us a skinny on a little Hank Williams history. Uh, in his teens, Hank learned to play and sing country songs that he heard on the family radio and picked up some blues chords from a black friend who was a street musician named T. Tot. At the age of 14... Hank put together his own band, playing at hoedowns and other get-togethers, where he won a local talent contest competition with his composition, WPA Blues. At 17, Hank put together a group called Hank Williams, Original Drifting Cowboys, and they successfully auditioned for the manager of WSFS Radio in Montgomery, where they played regularly on the air. Hank met his first wife, Audra Williams, during a traveling medicine show, and they were married in December 1944 in an Alabama gas station. Audrey was a... Wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more like... Wait. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, really, they, did he just say he met his uh, wife at a gas I station? I did just say he got married in December 1944 at an Alabama gas station. More like a Bama gas station. That's pretty fucked up. Who does it? Um, if there are any listeners that have been married at a gas station or a quick trip <laughs> or uh, any sort of mini mart. One of those drive through Vegas. Let, let us know because I, I, I think that's pretty freaking interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know that love's going to last as long as your tank is full. <laughs> as long as your tank is full and you got yourself a six-pack of sleazy chocolate... Mm -hmm. Buzz balls. <laughs> Buzz balls. <laughs> chocolate tasers. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> tickle your nose. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. That tickles. Well, now, Audrey was a strong-willed woman who became Frank's booking agent, road manager, and promoter. It was she who encouraged the stage-frightened Hank to perform on stage and help book gigs outside of Bama. In 1946, Hank and Audrey traveled to Nashville to secure a music publishing contract with producer Fred Rose head of the Acuff Rose publishing firm. It's Acuff. That's what I said. No, you 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 doing a good job talking hillbilly, but it's Roy motherfucking Acuff. That's what I done said, Acuff. It's an Acuff. You gotta put that, that you gotta pronounce that A. Acuff. It's not Acuff. <laughs> it's Acuff. That's what I said. <laughs> Roy Acuff. Well, anywho, <laughs> he asked him, he asked Hank to write a song on the spot. The song, Mansion on a Hill, landed Hank a publishing contract with A. Cuff Rose, period. <laughs> During the late 1940s, Hank, who was a tall, thin man who always wore a short-brimmed white cowboy hat, had his peak years when the MGM Records signed him for a recording contract and he became a regular on Louisiana Hayride a KWKH radio show in Shreveport, Louisiana. 
It's goddamn Shreveport. I can't say things. I'm I'm just <laughs> sexic. <laughs> I'm less dexic. <laughs> In 1949, after the birth of Hank and Audrey's son, Hank Williams, Jr., Hank was asked to join the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, where he made his stage debut on June 11th, 1949. I always thought the name of the place was pretty fucking clever. Just for being like a southern thing, instead of saying the Grand Opera, it's the Grand Ole Opry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is yeah, fucking perfect. It is. No one wants to say opera. Uh, no well, say, nobody uh, wants to go. No say, if you're from uh, cuff. Alabama, you don't want to go to the opera. Yeah, you you don't want to go to the goddamn opera. A cuff. A cuff rush. A cuff. From 1949 to 1950, Hank became country music's top artist with hits like Lovesick Blues, But Bucket's Got a Hole in It, Moanin' the Blues, and Why Don't You Love Me. His 1951 hits included Hey, Good Looking. Why don't you got cooking? Why don't you cook something up with me? Something like that. Skillet. Also, Cold Cold Heart and I Can't Help It If I'm Still in Love With You. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Me too. Hits in 1952 were Honky Tonk Blues, Jambalaya, and I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive. Huh. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, oh yeah. they're all good ones. Most of them are pretty good ones. They're all good ones. It's a matter of opinion. I think he's got some songs that might be a little better than other songs. <sighs> it's not set complete sacrilege, but <laughs> fuck, he has some songs that will never be touched in American history. Just the the best American treasured songs that bands are still covering to this very day. I've covered it. Which is the most important thing. No. Um, no, real professional people have covered. His st- songs are Ray Charles. And Ray Charles comes back up again. He does a wicked version of one of his songs. I can't remember right this second. Yeah. But he does it so good. Uh, I think my voice just started sounding good and salty right there. It sounded good. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hank's unprecedented success came with a price. A heavy drinker since his late teens, Hank proved to be an undependable for performer when he began showing up for concerts drunk. Sometimes he didn't even show up at all. When Audrey divorced him in 1951 due to their constant fights over his drinking, his band began to become disillusioned with him too, and the Grand Ole Opry suspended him from appearing at the live shows. In October 1952, Hank married his second wife, a 19-year-old Billie Jean Jones, who was no more successful than Audrey in protecting Hank from himself. Also, the Drifting Cowboys departed the same month due to Hank's violent mood swings and unpredictability. He was still in demand for live performances, though. On the early morning hours of New Year's Day, 1953, while traveling through West Virginia on the way to a show in Canton, Ohio, Hank Williams died in his sleep in the backseat of his Cadillac limousine. At age 29. Damn. Let's talk about his uh, Drifting Cowboy Band a little bit. And, you want to talk uh, about them? Hell yeah, I do. I want, I, I'm sure there might be some folks out there who might be a little curious to uh, understand some of that haunting music that was playing in the background, Mr. Hank Williams. We can't go through all the members because he had 959 <laughs> guitar players. <laughs> 
but we can <clears throat> we can talk about his first first lineup. What was the first lineup of the Drifting Cowboys? The Drifting Cowboys here. They went through several lineups. Their original one from 1937 changed musicians. <laughs> you wanted to say magicians. Magician musicians from show to show until Williams signed with Sterling Records. Um, the members from the original lineup was Braxton Schufert, who played guitar. Fred Beach, he played the fiddle. Smith Heasy Adair played the bass and the harmonica. And James E. Porter played the steel. Um, the, some of the main members that were didn't really, they were the main ones. The main. That was the main, the main ones that he didn't just rotate <clears throat> through like uh, Yeah. He Don, was, yeah. They he was changing <laughs> ball bottles. Yeah. Some of the, some of them, some of the other members, they were getting into that. You know, that chocolate teaser. <laughs> I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, stay away from those buzz balls, chocolate teasers. You're a motherfucker. They'll get you. <laughs> they'll they'll, they'll you. tickle your nose. They'll take you down. They'll take your nose. <laughs> Don Helms, one of the main members, played steel guitar. Jerry Rivers on the fiddle. Now, that guy stuck around for a while, Jerry Rivers. Um, Jerry Rivers was there. He was the main fiddler. He was a... Uh, Never mind. Bob, Bob McNett and Sammy Pruett also played guitar. I think it's Pruett. <laughs> Pruett played Pru- the guitar. <laughs> the guitar. Also, Hilius Buttram. Okay, these names are a little confusing. They're so southern. Cedric Rainwater. That's a good one. That is a good one. And, and uh, Herbert Lum York. They all played bass. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, from what I've been getting from the documentaries I've been watching, some of them are good, some of them are bad. I actually don't have one that I highly recommend at this juncture because uh, it, it's a little dicey there. But um, he started out playing lots of uh, small clubs, and there was actually like the Blues Brothers kind of thing going on to where they actually did have to have chicken wire around the stage to protect them from getting uh, projectiles thrown <laughs> at them. And, uh, yeah, and <laughs> had to prevent them from being seriously injured. That's pretty That's pretty crazy. Hank Williams formed the original Drifting Cowboys in 1937 and 1938 in Montgomery, Alabama. The name was derived from Williams' love of Western films, with him and the band wearing cowboy hats and boots. The original lineup consisted of Braxton Schufert, guitar, Freddie Beach, fiddle, and the comedian, Smith Heasy Adair. The youngest member of the band was a 13-year-old steel guitar player, James E. Porter. Damn, that's young. Yeah, 13. 13, shit. That's when I started playing shows. I, oh, I didn't start playing that that early. I, I got my first guitar when I was 13 years old, but no, I didn't, didn't start playing shows until I was probably like 16. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, thirteen is pretty young to be going on the road with Hank Williams. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. pretty impressive. <laughs> oh, yeah, for his June 1949 debut with the Grand Ole Opry, Williams formed his most famous version of the Drifting Cowboys: Bob McNett on guitar, Hilius Buttram on bass, Jerry Rivers on fiddle, and Don Helms on the steel guitar. Until 1950, Williams' songs were recorded with session musicians, with the label crediting the backing to the Drifting Cowboys. In 1950, McNett and Buttram left the band, being replaced by Sammy Pruitt, 
and a Cedric Rainwater. In 1951, before undergoing back surgery and not knowing how long he'd be unable to tour, Williams disbanded the group. In 1952, he was not backed by the Drifting Cowboys. After his death, the band was used for a short time by Ray Prince. Band members would later tour as the Drifting Cowboys for several years. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, that's something we haven't really gotten into. He had a spinal condition, uh, spinal bifida. He had it at a pretty young age. Obviously, he died relatively young at, at 29 years old. Super young. He traveled the road most of the time. He was just in the back seat of a car and didn't have any amplifiers. He just had his acoustic guitar and some luggage. So he would travel all around America in a Cadillac with a chauffeur driver. That was pretty much his jam. He didn't travel with the whole band. I was like, they'd meet him at the spot. He had a limousine, a Cadillac limousine. A Cadillac limousine. Yeah, that's exactly right. But, uh, yeah, so imagine having a spinal condition and having to travel, like, sometimes 800 miles in two days every day it must have been really painful but he had his little doctor feel good like i said at the beginning of the podcast who prescribed him plenty of morphine and amphetamines and then he would just uh chase that shit back with uh whiskey because his his back was just pretty much destroyed and hurting the whole time and from the videos i've seen and if any of you are familiar at all with hank williams he looked like he weighed like 18 cents. <laughs> he, he looked super, super thin. Mm-hmm. A super thin dude. But he did manage to write a wealth of beautiful songs. And that's what we're going to go into now. We're going to dissect some of uh, Hank Williams' most famous songs and go through some of the lyrics. And to, just to let you know how personal and how heartfelt his lyrics were, we'll start with Ramblin' Man. Now, this song to me has always had a bit of a forward foreboding like really uh really sad it's an a minor song and it really had like a really sad foreboding kind of uh vibe to it that i don't know what about not even the lyrics the music itself can make you feel real feelings and i'm I'm gonna read some of these lyrics i'm not gonna read the whole thing but i'll read some of them i can settle down be doing just fine until I hear an old train rolling down the line. Then I hurry straight home and pack. And I, if I didn't go, I think I'd blow my stack. I love you, baby, but you gotta understand. When the Lord made me, he made a rambling man. Some folks might say that I'm no good. And I wouldn't settle down if I even could. But when I see that open road starts to call on me, there's something over the hill that I gotta see. Sometimes it's hard, but you gotta understand. When the Lord made me, he made a rambling man. I love to see the towns just passing by and to ride these rails neath God's blue sky. Let me travel these lands from the mountains to the sea cause that's the life I believe he meant for me. And when I'm gone, and at my grave you stand, just say God's called home, your rambling man. Paul's going to read from a little lesser known cut called The Funeral. The Funeral. 
I was walking in Savannah past the church, decayed and dim, when slowly through the window came a plaintive funeral hymn. With my sympathy awakened and a wonder quickly grew, till I found myself environed in a little colored pew. Out front a colored couple sat and sorrowed yet a while. On the altar was a casket, and in the cast casket was a child. I could picture him living, curly hair, protruding lips, why I'd seen perhaps a thousand in my hurried southern trips. Rose a sad, old colored preacher from his wooden desk, with a manner sort of awkward and a countenance grotesque. The simplicity, simplicity and shrewdness of his Ethiopian face showed the wisdom and ignorance of a crushed, undying race. And he said, Now don't be weeping for this pretty bit of clay, for the little boy who lived there has gone and run away. He was doing very finely, and he appreciates your love, but his show-enough father wanted him in the big house above. The Lord didn't give you that baby by no hundred thousand miles. He just thought you needed some sunshine when he lent it for a while, and he let you keep and love it till your hearts were bigger grown, and these silver tears you're shedding now is just interest on the loan. Just think, my poor dear mourners, creeping long on sorrow's way, what a blessed picnic this here baby got today. Your good fathers and good mothers crowd the little fella round, while the angels tend the garden of the big plantation ground. And his eyes, they brightly sparkle at the pretty things he view. But a tear came, and he whispered, I want my parents too. And then the angel's chief musicians teach that little boy a song, says if only they be faithful, they'll soon be coming long. And so, my poor dear mourners, let your hearts with Jesus rest, and don't go criticizing the one who knows best. He gives us many comforts he's got the right to take away. To the Lord be praise and glory forever, let us pray. Whoa, that's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's a... Uh, very religious and scary. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's... But while touching, too, about a little kid. Yeah, well, as, long as, as long as your parents don't mess up, they, <laughs> they'll be able to join you. Maybe you'll never see him again. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> that's, that's not... It's not nice imagery. I mean, Jesus Christ. Man. We're going to do one more, and then we're going to move on. But this, these lyrics are also very profound, so I'd like to share these. For listeners that aren't very familiar with the lyrical genius of Hank Williams. Hear that lonesome whippoorwill. He sounds too blue to fly. The midnight train is whining low. I'm so lonesome I could cry. I've never seen a night so long. When time goes crawling by, the moon just went behind the clouds to hide its face and cry. Did you ever hear that robin weep when the leaves begin to die? That means he's lost his will to live, and I'm so lonesome I could cry. The silence of a falling star lights up a purple sky, and as I wonder where you are, I'm so lonesome I could cry. <laughs> so just just going down the list, it it seems like he he was so 
massively prolific in his time. Now, he went through a phase to where he was kind of writing more narrative stuff, and his record label discouraged him from doing that mm-hmm. just because they weren't hit-worthy, but th- I, that's where people said that most more of his even more poetic things. I think that's what solidified him as like a legend, you know what I mean? Those those type of things. Where he would just kind of talk over the song as it was playing along. What do you guys want to hear a little Hank? Let's hear a little Hank. Not, uh, I, I kind of not on the podcast, but I kind of want to hear the funeral. Alright, well, <laughs> let's see like, how it sounds, man. Play. I don't think I've ever heard it. What Hank Williams podcast would not be complete without a little conspiracy? Oh, yeah. Surrounding his uh, final drive, there was a movie called The Last Ride or The Last Drive. I just watched it today. It was kind of shitty and very speculative information. But uh, here is what Gerald Hodges have to say, special reporter to the Sand Mountain Times in 2017. I will elaborate. Well, basically, the conspiracy uh, goes around his last ride, which Hank Williams' sort of manager looked for a driver for Hank Williams and got this uh, kid who was like 19 years old from a filling station volunteered to uh, drive him to his next couple shows, which were really far away, like an 800-mile drive. We were talking about that earlier, how that would be so annoying if you had massive back problems. But in the movie, it makes it look like Hank Williams was doing his drugs and had a nefarious doctor give him a shot, which Hank Williams says, hold on, I gotta get my B12 shot, where some people speculate it was more than a B12 shot that he got from the doctor as he was on his uh, trip there, was stop stopping at bars, getting fucked up, and then it was rumored they just died in his car, was coughing a lot, not feeling good. The driver found him dead the next day in the backseat of the car. But the conspiracy theory is that members of the Illuminati had heard Hank's lyrics about overthrowing the government and saying down with the man several times and thought of him as a nationwide threat. As Hank Williams started showing up to more Black Panther meetings in the 60s, in the, in the early 50s, sorry, he became, he became number one on a government watch list. So rumor has it that the FBI and the CIA were going to take him out before he uh, sparked a national outrage. He wrote this song, and that really got under Ike's skin when he wrote that song. So I guess they had him under a watch list, and what they're saying is, like, the doctor was actually an appointee of the CIA, gave him a, what they call in, in the drug culture would be called a hot shot, and they gave him a hot shot and mixed it with, um, I don't know, I heard it was like gerbil piss, I don't believe it at all. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like heroin mixed with like gerbil piss. Is, what? Yeah, it's supposed to uh, accelerate the the pathway to the main artery of the heart. <laughs> when you do it, it's even faster. So with the gerbil piss and the morphine, I think that's that's what took him out. 
Yeah, I'm probably more more so the gerbil piss. <laughs> what happened at the Andrew Johnson Hotel that may have killed Hank Williams? Knoxville, Tennessee. The strange circumstances surrounding Hank Williams' death quickly became apparent in the News Sentinel's coverage back in 1953. The songwriter's 29-year-old heart turned cold sometime on the night of 1952 as his driver, Charles Carr, tried to get the star from Knoxville's Andrew Johnson Hotel to a gig in Canton, Ohio. The hotel was in the news again um, later, announcing that uh, Knox County would seek proposals to redevelop the building um, where some say Williams died, but where, in fact, he may have been inadvertently killed. His death was declared in Oak Hill, West Virginia, as reported on the front page of New Year's Day's edition of the Evening News Sentinel, along with more prominent story about the University of Tennessee football team preparing for the Cotton Bowl and the announcement of the news strip joining the comics page Pogo. The next day, though, the story took a strange turn. Tennessee Highway Patrol Captain Swan Kitts reported stopping Williams' Cadillac for reckless driving just outside Knox County around 1 a.m. on January 1st. The country singer was prone in the back seat and already looked dead, Kitts said. But Carr insisted Williams was just ill and had been given a sedative by a doctor in Knoxville. Investigations ensued. The Highway Patrol found no sign of foul play, and a coroner's jury in West Virginia determined that Williams died of a severe heart condition. Alcohol was in his bloodstream, but supposedly no drugs. In March, though, a paroled convict with phony medical credentials told investigators in an unrelated case that Williams had been paying him $300 a week plus expenses to treat him for alcoholism and help him sober up for for appearances. The fake doctor had prescribed a powerful sedative, um, chloral hydrate, hydrate, shortly before Williams' death. Yeah. Then a few days later, a real doctor in Knoxville, who asked that his name be withheld, told a News Sentinel reporter they had yet given Williams two shots just hours before he died. Williams had been drinking, but the doctor denied the injections were the final blow that did him in. The shots I gave Williams had absolutely nothing to do with his death, the physician said, and it's ridiculous to think that they did. The news tapered off in the months that followed, but books and articles speculating about the death have proliferated through the years including some theorizing that Williams already was dead when Carr found him, um, when, when Carr took him from the Andrew Johnson Hotel. Perhaps the definitive piece in the News Sentinel was by music writer Wayne Bledsoe, who interviewed Carr at length in 2002. He said it was Hotel Doctor who gave Williams shots of morphine and B12 before they left town. A few hours later, somewhere around Bristol, Williams spoke his last Carr asked if he wanted anything to eat. He just thought he was going to get some sleep. Notec, also known as chloral hydrate, is a hypnotic used to treat insomnia and calm patients before surgery and other procedures. Common side effects of Notec include drowsiness, trouble waking in the morning, nausea, vomiting, and stomach pain, diarrhea, and headache. Tell your doctor... If you experience serious side effects of noctic, including slow and shallow breathing, <laughs> mental mood changes such as confusion, what huh? the fuck is going huh? on? Huh? Sleepwalking, uh, 
staggering walk. That's my average walk. Loss of balance, severe dizziness, fainting, stomach problems, gastro... I'm sorry. Gastritis. Kidney problems. Vomit that looks like coffee grounds. Oh, fuck me to tears. (laughs) (laughs) Difficult or painful swallowing. Back... Black terry stools, severe stomach, abdominal pain, changes in the amount of urine. Want a cup of this? Want a cup of this, Joe? Yes, I want. Uh, I want the. I want coffee ground vomit. Mmm, yummy. That was good for you. The B twelve. I couldn't imagine being like. That's that's fine. I take B twelve sometimes. Yeah, it just gives. It's like an energy booster. Yeah. Any kind of. It's B fine. It's in. B6. It's in Red Bull. Yeah. With all the sugar. It's in Monster. It's in Monster. Delicious, delicious drink. Not as good as cherry, cozy, chocolate, sweet balls. Yeah. What's it? Buzz Buzz? What's it buzz called? Buzz Balls. Buzz Balls. It sounds good. It's uh, Hank Williams' favorite drink. Uh, buzz Balls. Buzz Balls chocolate, chocolate. cordials. <laughs> hey, Paul, did you know that uh, Hank Williams was a Pulitzer Prize winning author? I did. You did? Yeah, he was a Pulitzer Prize-winning author. Unfortunately, however, this superstar didn't get to enjoy his award while he was alive. The songwriter was given the award posthumously in 2010. We're not sure how anyone could hear Hey, Good Looking and wait long to give him an award. (laughs) So people might know that uh, Hank Williams had some kids. Yep. Jet Williams... What a yep. badass name to give a girl. Oh, yeah. In she the, in the, the late 40s. She started the, that band um, Jet Jets. The Jets. She started that band The Jets. She fought against the Sharks in that one movie. Oh, shit. That's right. And also, Bocephus. <laughs> Bocephus is the coolest name in the world. Bocephus is an awesome name. But uh, Hank Williams Jr., and his first name is actually Bocephus, and he has written some great music, too. Mm -hmm. We might do an episode on him way longer in the future, because this one's a fucking train wreck. Yeah, he's really cool, though. He he does have some good songs. Just not really my style, the country. Dude, Country Boy Can't Survive? I, I prefer the, the old... I'd like to spit some chew in that boy's eye. But also his son... It's pretty cool too. Hank Williams the third. Hank Williams the third is awesome. The, yeah, and they also say third the nerd. Yeah, because <laughs> they say third the nerd. Oh yeah, they totally, totally, they totally say that. <clears throat> <clears throat> really? Yep, they call him Hank the nerd. <laughs> <laughs> the nerd. Well, it's just because he's like always about astrophysics. Yeah. He can't stop fucking yammering on about astrophysics. Yeah, fucking nerd. I saw him, though. Um, he's really cool. I really like him. Uh, I was telling you earlier. Got to catch up with him uh, probably like 15 years ago when they were opening for the Melvins. And mm. got to hang out with him and shoot the shit a little bit. And I was all I, all I really could talk about was his uh, fiddle player, whose name I forget. <laughs> but... We were sort of drunkenly hanging out, and I was just like, man, that dude is awesome. And he was like, hey, I'm Hank Williams. <laughs> and I'm like, but that dude. <laughs> You're a really good fiddle player, you know. It's it's awesome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we got 
we got some time to banter. What's your favoriteest Hank Williams song? My favorite favoriteest. Uh, I would have to go with um, the the one I feel is the most well written song. It's really hard for me, but I'm so lonesome I can cry. I know it's it's a big hit for him, but that song That's a good one. always always moves me. It has the it has all the sauce. It has all that good sauce in it. It's got all the Hank Williams uh, attributes that made him great. That one I was trying to look up what Hank Williams' favorite food was, but I guess he just pretty much uh, drove around the country eating shitty gas station and and or diner food. Hot dogs and whiskey. Hot dogs and whiskey, gonna have it as a snack. Hot dogs and whiskey, gonna carry it on my back. Hot dogs and whiskey, living with it in my shins. Hot dogs and whiskey, gonna save me from all my sins. Eat your hot dogs and whiskey. Here they come again. In <laughs> Tater tots, apple fritters, give them to me, you dumb critters. Hot dogs and applesauce, living on a great big farm. Hot dogs and applesauce Don't do me no harm See every day Hot dogs and applesauce Hot gas station food is the food for me And whiskey And don't forget to buy Gas Station Sandwiches by The People vs. Hugh Daniel. A great song And it has a great song on it cause <laughs> Called Gas Station Sandwiches Mm-hmm. Mm. Very good song. Mm. I like those hot dogs on the rollers. <laughs> I had a friend that would get the hot dogs on the rollers. We used to work together, and he would go first thing in the morning, so it would be like about 8 o'clock in the morning, and the hot dogs that had still been on the rollers forever and ever and ever. For like you could tell week. they had like the hair growing on them. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, yeah. Sure the, those are what he's going for first thing in the morning. Oh, like, yeah. oh fuck, dude. It's no. so evenly cooked. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the rollers you don't get the you don't get the tan lines when they're on the rollers yeah no it's just so mm. evenly and it's all shriveled and the, does anybody know the dangers of like having the boiled hot dogs and you get the tan lines on those oh yeah that'll that'll, that'll tickle your nose <laughs> see yeah uh hank williams life was very tragic and um I can't, I can't express enough how important it is if you've never listened to Hank Williams to go seek it out on your cellular phone. Spend a day, spend one day with a good set of Hank Williams. Don't get like the cheesy grazed hits. Get get into the deeper records and really take in some of Hank Williams' poetic beauty that he had in, in his songwriting. He was a he was a song crafter. He made like what were there over a hundred? Oh, definitely way more songs. It was pretty prolific for his age. In his in his very short life, bless you, Hank Williams. Bless you, bless you, Alabama. Alabama, bless you, Pima County. Bless you, Jackson County. Bless you, Los Angeles County. Oh. Los Angeles <laughs> County. 
That's needed the most. They need it the most. Praise the Lord. Eat more hot dogs and whiskey. I'm going to be right every time. Hot dogs and whiskey. I'm going to make you have a real good time. Hot dogs and whiskey. I'm going to make you feel real good. Hot dogs and whiskey, especially if they're made out of wood. Ew. So you heard that rumor that um, Hank Williams was in the satanic cult, right? Yep. He was probably in the same one that uh, all those politic... The Owls Club. Yeah, the Owls Club. I think... No, it's not the Owls Club. No, Owls, that's the bar that I go to. That's the bar. Um, but it's it has the, the big... Gi- the Moloch. The big giant... No, the Moloch is uh, Ronnie James Dio's finger symbol. What was um, that? The... the um, it was Bohemian Grove. Yeah, Bohemian Grove. Yeah, Bohemian <laughs> Grove, and they got the Owls Club. Mm-hmm. And Hank Williams was um, told to play a show there, and he did because they offered a lot of money. But little did he know that there'd be all these high-level politicians, and there'd be a giant flaming owl with um, a bunch of naked male politicians peeing on trees and... Uh, doing a ritual called the burning of cares ceremony or something. So Hank Williams was singing, Hey, good looking, watch guy cooking. How about throwing something on the burning out for me? Hot dogs and whiskey. (laughs) But in all fairness to Hank, whenever he saw the first child sacrifice Mm -hmm. uh, delivered by Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, he was out. Yeah, I remember that. And he was outraged, so, you know, naturally, Hank Williams was swinging. He was like, I'm out of here, let me out of here. But they said, here, have another morphine shot. Woo! No more hot dogs and whiskey. You're being born to Moloch. Hot dogs and whiskey. Hank Williams in a satanic cult. There was that one time in the 80s they were making this movie called Three Men and a Baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's one, that's my favorite movie. Hank Williams played the baby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah he didn't like that. it. He's pretty hammered the whole time, but it was he, pretty funny. What? Who was it? Uh, it was... Tom uh, Selleck. Tom and, Selleck, and yeah. John Travolta. John Travolta, and uh, I think... Um, what's his name? Was oh, the name? fucking guy from Police Academy. <laughs> yeah, he was there making sound effects and shit. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't that guy from Police Academy. It oh, was, the other guy. Uh, yeah, the other guy. I forget. Oh, fuck me to tears. Well, I hope you guys learned something tonight. This is the Killer Music Podcast. We'll be back next week with another killer episode. Oh, shit. And we are... Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. We're finally bringing you the legendary Elliot Smith. This one's for our oh shit. Listener John Rector. Oh shit. I hope you enjoy it. It should be really good. And hopefully you guys learned a lot from this episode. Oh shit. Especially about the later facts of Oh shit. The legendary Hank Williams, who we love very much. We were only speaking in jest for a little bit there. So. I know. 
I think most of them are just going to remember the hot dogs and whiskey. Oh, shit. You guys have a nice night. We love you. Toodles. Toodaloo. Oh, shit. Dogs and whiskey. Gonna be a good afternoon. (laughs) Hot dogs and whiskey.